Welcome back to Glass Onion Minute. This is the Movie by Minute podcast. We break down the second of the Knives Out Mysteries. I know Ryan Johnson doesn't want it labeled as that, but hey, it helps us label things. I am your host for this week. My name is Paul Francis Sullivan. I implore you to call me Sully. We break down the movie Glass Onion one minute of screen time per episode. And as it has been all this week, my guest host has been... That's right. I am Rick Ingham to guest again. Today's episode, we're covering minute 123. Which begins with Helen picking up a glass piece of art and Miles watching her drop it with a smirk on his face and the violins going. joining in on the fun. Goddamn that thing. So, this is a part of the film where Helen is of course fed up and is taking it to miles where in some ways it hurts the most, which is exposing his, I guess, his his hollowness and his fragileness by destroying the pieces of art that seem to define him. I love that she does it with kind of an expressionless, like staring at him while she's doing it. And Miles is putting on his best mask at this point. Oh, that doesn't really bother me. That doesn't really bother me to maintain his power. But we're going to see as these minutes pile up that uh, does kind of bother him a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, he invited all of his friends over to his house and suddenly they're breaking his toys, even though it is a very righteous action that Helen is taking here. Well, and I, I think in some ways that, you know, the at this point, this is still... Helen, it is, it's not yet. I mean, at the end, it turns to be the other participation, but I think it's a little bit of everyone, everyone else but Helen in the previous minute has surrendered, mm-hmm. has admitted that they're not, we're, we're hopeless on this. And this, they're seeing, oh, wow, she is standing up to him and it's just going to keep going. Yeah. I, have mixed feelings about the others joining in on this little smash party uh, mm-hmm. because you know this is Helen's opportunity to rage against the machine right. and it feels a bit co-opted or co-optive I don't know what's the what's the fancy way to say people that are jumping on the bandwagon here yeah I mean it's it's mm-hmm. uh it's um appropriated yeah 
Helen has the right to be this angry. And then all of a sudden, Whiskey voices her support. Everybody else is, oh, you want to get in on this? And they start smashing it all. It kind of feels well, like, hey, let's not steal Helen's thunder in this. Well, and I, I, it's, I think it's interesting that when the when they're panning around and you see <laughs> that no one knows how to react. Yep. And Whiskey, who is the outsider of this group, she's the plus one, and her man is dead. And so she feels like she probably has the right to have a certain amount of anger as well. But I think one of the things that we're going to see, and again, I'm kind of cheating a little bit here because I'm going to make a reference to something that happens in an upcoming minute. You're going to see that, yes, they're going to they're going to appropriate her rage to join in. In so many ways, doesn't that perfectly encapsulate the destructors that they are completely superficial that their actions are superficial i i read a thing in one of the trivia i'm sure someone mentioned the previous episode maybe i mentioned in a previous episode i can't remember i've done a bunch of these that kate hudson said she was portraying birdie as if she understood every third word that was said to her so whiskey goes yeah f yeah and then Birdie t- gets involved, throws the thing down, and says, damn, that felt so good. And she's right. But there isn't the same rage behind her. It's just, oh, this is, it's like everyone's doing actions based upon how do I get clicks? How do I get views? Oh, this is what we're doing now. And they appropriate it without thinking about what it actually is they're doing. Yeah. And in so many ways, that's the art around them, their activities that they do, the fashion that she does, and she doesn't understand that's a sweatshop. No one understands the consequences. They just understand the superficial action without understanding what is behind it. Yeah, I can get behind Whiskey voicing her support for what Helen is doing because, as you mentioned, as people familiar with this movie know, you know, Whiskey came to the island with duke and duke is now gone and while there is a possibility of miles having some sort of consequence from that if everybody keeps quiet no he's not so i can see why whiskey is like yeah let's start smashing things too because that's the only way that she is ever going to get justice for what miles did to duke but yeah i i love the idea that birdie is jumping on a bandwagon because it's the thing that is pulling the most attention in the room and birdie wants the attention in the right. room and you notice that and this is this is a clue that whiskey and birdie are doing it for a superficial reason and helen is not the clue is helen is silent helen is letting the action speak for her Helen mm-hmm. knows that she's just raising the bar with each one. And the other two are screaming, F yeah, oh, that feels great. But that it it's it's without it's the action without the purpose, which is which again from the beginning has been everyone, how do I create a brand? How do I create clicks without necessarily creating a you know, without without any of the substance, and of which we find that which we have learned about Miles that 
he has this he has a all this the appearance of being a rich genius but everyone has done the work for him that he doesn't understand words he's saying he doesn't understand the art that he has he doesn't understand the art that's here and which some of it looks like garbage and some of it looks good but it's like there is no substance behind everyone else's destruction except for Helen's. Mm-hmm. agreed and and the characters have all admitted that they are spineless that they'd rather suck on the teeth of miles than stand up and so i guess in all of their eyes they're expecting helen to acquiesce and they don't they don't understand how to react to someone actually standing up to miles so this is this is it's almost like they're speaking klingon at this point like they they don't understand this the the how someone could how someone could actually do this <laughs> as opposed to here where there is all of the emotion behind it but the emotion is only behind helen because everyone else is and we will see again by the way there's another interesting thing about the the remainder of the minutes that you and i are going to be doing this week which is last week's or i mean last yesterday's this one the last we're going to have almost Almost four straight minutes without Benoit Blanc, mm-hmm. where he did, where he's not even on screen, where they don't even cut to him. Yeah, he left on Monday, and we haven't seen him since. Right, and this is an interesting. This I think shows a great deal of discipline from Ryan Johnson as a director, because Daniel Craig is certainly the the biggest star in the film. He's the the one link between this film and Knives Out. And in many ways, he's the character that is drawing people into into the theater to see this this funky mystery. And you could very well have had him in the corner going, "Oh, I declare the, 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 the. no, he's not there. We're make this is really this is Helen's moment, and putting the biggest star in the movie in this scene would be a monumental distraction mm-hmm. from what is going on here. And I think on a piece of mainstream Hollywood entertainment with a major household name movie star at the lead to be able to have this sustained amount of time trusting the film to, to Joe Monet, that that is, I don't know, that takes that takes a, that takes some discipline and some guts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But tell me what what do you think about what's your main th- when you see Claire and Lionel kind of looking at each other, they've been the ones who are the for the lack of a better word the closest logical ones of the destructors. What what was your take of when you see them during this whole thing as opposed to Whiskey and Birdie who jump in jump into the fray superficially? Well you definitely get the sense that they don't necessarily condone destruction on this mm-hmm. level, but I do get the sense that they're able to understand that, hey, if this is the only type of justice that Helen is going to receive because of their combined silence, that she is owed that much. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to think that they're able to think it through that clearly. Well, I mean, and and I think though, I think we saw in the previous minute there is a 
there is regret in certainly in Claire in in going along with Miles that she's sort of trapped and 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 the thing the 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 how I interpreted the the looks that she was giving was it hadn't even occurred to her that this could be a way out mm-hmm. that this sort of complete and crazed defiance of Miles is even something that's on the table. And I just think that there's, you, you'll see again, next minute, you're going to see, you're going to see the destruction and you're also going to see the turn in the characters. But I, I think there is, I think there is a certain amount of, I don't know, maybe I feel there's more humanity in Claire than in some of the other characters. I think that she's closer to being a decent person than everyone else, but like all politicians in a way, she had to make the Faustian decision of, do I want the power or do I want the truth? I think she has more of a capability. Like, I think Bertie is lost. I don't think there's any hope for Bertie. As a, there's, no, there's no redeeming of her as a human being. But I think there is for Claire, if she had, if she had def- made, if she had stood up earlier in the life the way that Helen has. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could see that. All right, we'll take a look at. Have you and I talked about? There's a third one. They're doing a third one. Really? Yeah, they're gonna make. They're gonna make a, and it's gonna, and, and Ryan, because Ryan Johnson just didn't want to put the, the knives out mystery subtitle on the poster but sorry ryan that helps helps publicity you know it doesn't say it in the movie so but it says it on the poster so i will say this ryan johnson there will be a third knives out mystery and and hopefully it it comes along in this same format because i'd like a totally different cast in each film and a totally different setting i had said another one i would love to see one in a winter setting We've seen kind of the New England autumn. We've seen the Greek Isle for a summer. I would love Ooh. to see a snowy, a snowy mountain. Maybe something in Switzerland, or something in something with a ho- almost a holiday feel to it. I think would be kind of neat. Yeah. But what would you would you be looking for to a third knives out? And what would what, what would you where would you like to see it go? Oh, I would love to springboard off of that idea of each mystery being set in a different season and as much as a wintry mystery would be nice i think one set against a blooming spring setting i know you find a place like japan or washington dc with blooming cherry blossoms and a whole lot of color popped everywhere i think that would be excellent to bring in benoit blanc for a big washington dc style political mystery yeah i was about to say we had old school money old school new england money Mm -hmm. in the first one we have kind of the nouveau tech riche in this one so maybe yeah maybe in part three you have that entrenched washington insider lobbyist influence oh now i'm thinking who's going to be the president They have to have a major star in it somewhere. They have, they got, they they got Captain America for the first one. We got Edward Norton and and Kate Hudson. I'm thinking, like, who who should be the like like? Sadly, I think I would love to see Warren Beatty as a Joe Biden type president, but I think Warren Beatty is completely retired now. But but now now I'm thinking, who should play the freaking president of the United States in this? 
Yeah, I mean, you could also go, as you said, old New England money, new tech money. You could also do, hey, let's send Benoit Blanc to somewhere like Japan where it's like, hey, you've got international trade type money where some big CEO, CFO type guy went to Japan for a big business meeting. And against the springtime in Japan, you could have Benoit Blanc walking down those neon lit streets. Ooh, and I just I just had another one. If you're talking about like spring and flowers and things, like in in like Holland with all like the tulips and the, yeah. the windmills, and you also have all that so old money, like this count. Like if you saw like you could do kind of a Bernie Madoff thing, where Bernie Madoff didn't just scam little old families living in Boca Raton, but he scammed like like these counts. And these lords who lived in like Belgium and Holland and France who have had castles and those old paintings you see in museums, their great, 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 great uncles. Like that money is so old. It was like the original money. And so if he can sort of be in like 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 a Dutch castle surrounded by tulips and with and that, of course, opens up all these more great European actors to show up. But. (laughs) But to have like a like an old like the, that real old that, that like royalty money, or you could or you could set it in England and have I didn't want to say a Prince Andrew because there's nothing funny about that. But when you have someone who is the the Earl of such and such or the Duke of of blobbity blobbity, and it turns out they're actually broke. <laughs> I mean, that's there's all sorts of I love the idea of that old money sort of being having the rug pulled out from it as as the total sham that it is oh yeah yeah japan you look at we've already come up with three japan could be incredible washington where political intrigue old school money like old money of europe the like that that's there's a lot of places they can go god we're just gonna be great we're gonna keep having more knives out minute movies every three or four years it's gonna be yeah. fantastic Oh, and I think it'd be really fun in a third Benoit Blanc mystery, maybe introduce a rival detective Mm -hmm. for Benoit Blanc to go up against. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Christopher Lambert lately. Let's bring Christopher Lambert in as a rival detective. If they're in that Holland setting we were talking about, Mm -hmm. you can have, oh, Benoit Blanc shows up on the scene. He's about to say something pithy, and all of a sudden you get this other pithy saying from off screen whip pan over to christopher lambert <laughs> well we need, we, we need jean renault in it somewhere absolutely we need juliette Binoche in it somewhere what was the name of the dude from the the, the star do you ever see lupin the netflix show what the hell is the name of the lead actor from lupin he's great he's a uh a french actor omar Sy. Um, who are you thinking of yes yes yeah. omar Sy. yeah he's fantastic have him show up. <laughs> yeah. Look at this, folks. Just, just, just get what? Because it's called a finder's fee. Yeah. Let's put Send a SARS guard in there for good measure. Oh yeah, that's the law. <laughs> there are enough of them. We can fish yes, one we, of them. Yeah, out. absolutely. Well, and also, and throw a Hemsworth in because we got to have. We need to have that 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 connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe that is completely against tight. Thrown in there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, oh, I am, even... oh, I know, I know who should play a rival detective because she's always great, and it would be great to see her 
head to head with Daniel Craig as Glenn Close. Ooh, yes. Get Glenn Close in there. That would be spectacular. Look at this. Uh, now all you gotta she, do is all you need to do is write a movie. It'd be the last one you expect to see show up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm digging this. I'm really digging this. We'll tell. Well, look at Rick. This is great. We've come up with look at we've come out with knives out parts three, four, and five. <laughs> it's not too shabby. Not too shabby. But hey, tell people where they can follow you out there. Absolutely. If people want to hear more of my voice, you can check out the Mad Max Minute, where me and my co-host Julia cut through the Mad Max movies one at a time. But more recently, as I mentioned, I've been watching a lot of Christopher Lambert for my other podcast called Sword Boys Cut by Cut, where me, Jonathan from Minute Impossible and Robin from Karate Kid Minute, we are going through your favorite 70s, 80s, 90s sword movies cut by so cut. Be Highlander. So yeah, Highlander was the first Beastmaster. After that, we're going to do Hawk the Slayer and all sorts of other random sword and sorcery movies. And when it's going to be I, fun. And by the way, I just inadvertently made a connection that Christopher Lambert was Tarzan mm-hmm. in Greystoke against off of Andy McDowell, who was dubbed over by Glenn Close. It's Andy McDowell acting in Glenn Close's voice. If you watch Greystoke, which is directed by Hugh Hudson, who also did Chariots of Fire. It is mm-hmm. absolutely surreal to see Andy McDowell speak and Glenn Close's, Glenn Close's sound, which yeah. makes me think maybe they should cast Glenn Close, but dubber with Andy McDowell. <laughs> just, just to sort of align the universe in fact i wish i was a movie director because glenn close will do strange cameos in movies every once in a while most famously as a pirate in hook but i think it would be so fun to just it does it looks like they're glenn close but we just we we adr andy mcdowell and then get andy mcdowell and adr glenn close just to sort of mess everything up there but do you want to know the absolute weirdest one of those they're harvey keitel we all know who Harvey Keitel is, obviously. Yep. He was in the film called Saturn 3, which was a kind of an alien ripoff that came out, I'm guessing, 1980. And it starred Kirk Douglas and Farrah Fawcett and Harvey Keitel. And they're on some sort of space station in the rings of Saturn. And Harvey Keitel is a, a crazed scientist. And he builds a robot that goes berserk. So the robot acts like the alien in Alien and kills everyone. But for whatever... And Harvey Keitel at that point was not an obscure actor. He had already done Mean Streets. He had already done Taxi Driver. He had already been in several movies. And he's he's in the film. And the actor Roy Dotris, I think was his name, he's best known for playing the father in Amadeus. He was Mozart's father. Okay. They dubbed... Harvey Keitel with this stately British actor. <laughs> so you, there's Harvey Keitel shortly after he was fired from Apocalypse Now on a space station with Farrah Fawcett and Kirk Douglas speaking with a stately British accent. That's not his. <laughs> you just watch it. Like The film is weird enough. By the way, it's directed by Stanley Donnan, who also co-directed singing in the rain so when you want to have an alien ripoff 
get me the man who directed Singing in the Rain with Gene Kelly. I didn't make any of that up. <laughs> we live in a strange world, Rick. That we, we do. Well, tell you what. Listen, if, if you find this podcast, we, we, we're going to throw all sorts of stuff like that at you. Visit us on Twitter at Glass Onion Min, all one word. And we're going to be here. we got two more episodes. We're going to have two more episodes to go. Stuff is going to be destroyed, but we're going to find that it no longer is as fun or as easy to dismiss as it was when we pick this up here on Glass Onion Minute. Thank mm-hmm. you.